that in any of his classes, but I, uh, I know that he's appreciated by my children. Uh, Tony Kingston's going to come and bring us the reading of the word this morning. Uh, it's from Psalm 23. I hope the uh, pictures behind us are reliable, otherwise you might have to open your Bibles for yourselves. Thanks, Tony. Okay, so it's Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, Tony. May God bless to us the reading of his word this morning. Are you paying too much for your insurance? No? <laughs> Maybe you've uh, succumbed to the effective ad campaign that's changing our vernacular, the way we speak. There's a new word out there, it's called simplesness. Have you heard it? If you look on the uh, website for Compare the Market, it even has a definition of simplesness. A state of mind in which everything becomes easy to deal with. And when it comes to insurance, we want something that's easy to deal with, don't we? Because we have two great fears in this life. One, that we're paying too much for what we're getting. And the other is that we're not getting everything that we're entitled to. And so it's not the only company out there um, promoting itself by playing to these fears. Another ad campaign proves it with its slogan, he could have got cover for a lot less. There's two things that, that we seem to be consumed by, excessiveness and entitlement. And we kind of think that it's in pursuing a great deal of everything that we're going to be happy and content. And if there's things that we can't achieve by ourselves, well then there's probably uh, some um, right that we have to claim them. We should either be able to afford it on our own or it should be given to us uh, just because we're entitled. We're going to compare this morning simplesness and that everyday expectation that we have that we, we should be able to get everything that we're entitled to with simplicity and rather than compare every insurance policy that's out there I want us to compare our expectations with the teaching of the Word of God let's as we turn to the Word of God ask for God to direct our, our minds and our hearts Heavenly Father as we come before you this morning and we open your word many of us may be concerned about our health or about our security or about our future and we're probably in many ways pursuing how we can meet those needs. 
But Lord, as we take time in our lives to come and to open your word together, we pray that you would redirect our fears, redress our, our expectations and, and educate our minds that we would turn to you, that we would trust in you, that we would simply live, that we would walk in faith and know that you are sufficient, that you can provide, that you care for us. Be present with us and teach us, we pray, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We open the word of God to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I remember the first time I saw that, and not written uh, in the Bible, but, but painted on the wall of a church. Uh, it wasn't a church that I, I was attending regularly. It was uh, just a hall that our school gathered in so that we could um, prepare for a musical that we were, were going to be presenting. Some of you kids know what, uh, what that looks like. And there painted on the wall of this hall was, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And something in me said, that's not right. He's the shepherd that I should want, not the shepherd that I shall not want. And so I think it, it was, I guess, in a helpful way, began me thinking, now what does the scripture mean when it says this? And in different translations, we can see that, uh, that different translators have, have tried to make simple uh, and, and understanding these words. The NIV, I think, at one stage said, I shall not be in want. Uh, later, it said, I shall lack nothing. The Living Translation says, I, shall, uh, I have all I need. The message, I don't need a thing. The Contemporary English Version, I will never be in need. It's not saying, I shall not want the Lord, but as the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. I shall have everything I need. Even into the future I can look and, and know that I will not be in need because the Lord is with me. But I think in, in a helpful way, going back to I shall not want is almost more instructive for us. Not just does it tell us that God will provide for all of our needs, but that desire that is constantly within me saying, I need to seek, I need to search, I, I need to work, I need to hoard, I, I need to have money in my pocket, I need to have the things that the world says I need, I need, I need. Actually, the word of God says, I shall not want. All of these things the Lord will provide. Now, Psalm 23, I know, is is a, a familiar psalm to many of us and often one that we might go to it in times of trouble. But I want to read it just from the perspective of, of our need. Will the Lord supply and how? Where in my life can I, can I trust that the Lord will be caring for me? Well, the psalm goes through all of these things. He makes me lie down in green pastures. God provides for my food. He leads me beside the still waters. Uh, I know we, we think of that as a place of peace, but very practically it's, it's that we receive the, the water that we need. Our two basic needs God is providing. But he is also giving me peace and safety. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He gives me good direction. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for the Lord gives me protection. His rod and, and staff, they comfort me. God is not just putting me in places that are safe, but he is with me and he is giving me security. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. God provides in abundance. He provides with blessing. He is not threatened by the things that threaten me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He is my future and my hope. So there's no need in my everyday God cannot supply. There's nothing that my body requires that he's not ready to give. He's meeting my emotional, my physical, my spiritual needs now and into the future. And where does that leave us? In a place of simplicity. I don't need to complicate my life at all. I don't need to go seeking after those things that my body needs. God will provide them. I don't need to be concerned about those worries that consume and conf confound my thinking day after day. God is with me in those things. I don't have to worry about whether my insurance policy is sufficient for the disasters that may lay ahead. God is with me in the future, even beyond death. Isn't that the greatest of all life insurance policies? So I want to look this morning at what it means to live simply. If God is our shepherd, how then should we live? How should we live? How should we give? And what should be our motives? Those three things this morning. Last week I spoke about Paul and, and Silas and how as people went without food, as they fasted in prayer before the Lord, God gave these two names of men that the people would, uh, the church should send out in order that the gospel would continue to be proclaimed. As the church went without food, God made certain that the bread of life was going to be spread to people beyond Jerusalem. This morning, I want to look at how going without or, or just living simply also presents and proclaims the gospel. In Luke chapter 10, in, as part of Jesus' ministry, he's, he's had his uh, disciples with him for some time. He's appointed 12 to be his, his close. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, he appoints 72. And he says, I want you now to go out and proclaim the, the gospel of the kingdom that is being presented to all people everywhere. And as he sends them out, he puts them together two by two. He tells them where they're going to every town and place uh, on the, the road map of, of Jesus ahead of him. And he says to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, say first, peace to this house. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the labourer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. What's the attitude of those very first missionaries that Jesus sent out? 
It's that they're to go out knowing that, that God is going before them. Jesus has already prepared the way, the, the maps before them. These are the, the places that you are to go to. And as you go, don't take added burdens. Don't worry about an, an extra coat or an extra pair of sandals or, or money for, your, for your, your purse so that you, you feel that secure no matter what it is that you might face along the way. There's a, a simple phrase that we've learnt, I, I think, along the way, that where the Lord guides, he also provides. So as you go out, go just with the sandals on your feet and trust in your heart that the things you need, God will provide. And he says that you will find people of peace. They will welcome you into their homes. They will give you the food that you need. You won't go without. The laborer deserves his wages. He's not saying, I want you to go out as slaves. No one's going to take care of you, but this is the task ahead of you. I want you to go out and just trust that God will have people who will provide for you as you go. And so simplicity accompanies the work of evangelism. We read it also later uh, after the, the ministry of Jesus or as the ministry of Jesus continues on in the lives of Paul and others by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us through his teaching and through his experience, even through his requests, that he is living this simple life that accompanies the work of the gospel. In 1 Timothy he writes, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I heard recently that, uh, that uh, people who, who enjoy tattoos on their body enjoy them because it's the only thing you can take into the grave with you. Well, <laughs> maybe that's true. The, the Word of God says the things that we take into the grave are the very things that we brought with us into this world. Nothing, really. All the pursuits of, of happiness and storing up wealth for ourselves and that sort of thing, they're temporary. Uh, Nick was sharing as part of his testimony yesterday that there was a time in his life where he thought his security, his hope was, was you know, all paid for and, and found in the circumstances of life that, that often there are things that come that rob us of that hope and that security. There's a greater trust that we can have and it's not in the love of money. Actually, that leads to all kinds of evil. So whether we're an evangelist like Paul seeking to proclaim the gospel or whether we're people called to, to be rooted where we are, we still need to heed his call that, that we're to live simply. It's part of his teaching. It's part also of his experience. He describes his ministry in Philippians 4 in this way, verse 11. I've learned in whatever situation to be content. In his teaching, he said, contentment with godliness is great gain. Now he says, I've learnt this myself. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's not saying that it's wrong to have abundance. He's not saying that it's better to have nothing. But he's saying, whatever our circumstance, we need to learn this secret of contentment, which is found in knowing that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If I have a great deal, it is God who has provided, and I need to be responsible for that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. If I have nothing, well, my trust is the same. It's not that God has abandoned me. No, God is sufficient for me in my time of need. I was reminded of this verse last night as I uh, interacted with Michael. 2 Timothy 4 says, uh, and, and this is Paul just giving a request to Timothy right at the end of his letter. He says, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and, the, and the, above all the parchments. It's just almost a throwaway phrase at the end of a letter and we might think, well, it's got no real significance or, or meaning or purpose for us. But it tells us a couple of things about the ministry of Paul. Uh, he wants for Timothy just to do a very practical thing for him as he comes. I've left a coat behind. I want you to bring it when you come. But why has he left it? Some say he had to leave in a hurry or something like that. I think that maybe Carpus needed a cloak. And the thing that Paul did for him was to sort of go, well, you need it at this time. You have my cloak. I'll, I'll continue my journey without. Uh, at, the, at the right time, that need will be once again met for me. Why I was reminded last night is uh, because of, of Michael Johnson's well testimony in, in his life. He heard God call him to Thailand and said, that's it, I'm going. Uh, one requirement was that they had no outstanding debts, and so I think they just sold up their cars and houses, whatever they had, and, uh, and just went to the mission field debt-free. And now is just simply trusting that the, the work of God will be provided for, that their own needs as a family will be provided for. And how is that done? Simply with the meeting of, of simple needs. Where one person is cold, the other shares a cloak. When that cloak is needed, a request is made, and, and those who have provide. God's call to us is to live simply so that the work of the gospel can continue. Or maybe found, uh, Mother Teresa found this truth in her ministry. Her words were to live simply so that others can simply live. Have you ever thought about the abundance of what we have in, in Australia, the, the security that we have just by the country that we live in and all that's provided for us? We are in the top 10% of the world, even if we are Australians on the minimum wage. The top 10% of the world, 90% of the world are hungrier than we are, have greater need for clothing, greater need for shelter. Do we regard the world's poverty as our own responsibility? Are there things that we could be giving up so that we can give just that little bit more? Maybe you've got a cloak that you don't need. Maybe there's someone who would like to be warmed at this time. We, also, we, we live simply. We also 
give thankfully, for don't we have enough? I know I went through my wardrobe this week just sort of going, I haven't got enough space in my wardrobe, uh, so I need to get rid of some stuff. How's that for motivation for you? I want to put more in and so that spurs me to give stuff away. Haven't I got enough? Can't I give more? In Psalm 50, we get a negative example of giving through impure motives. Maybe they had wardrobes that were overfull and so they gave in those ways. I don't know. Psalm 50, speak, God speaks to a people who are, are, are giving in their sacrifices before the Lord. They're, they're worshipping God in seemingly all the right ways. But God says to them, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. It's not that you're not doing the right thing. You're just doing it through the wrong motives, he says. Excuse me, I feel a sneeze coming on. Uh, They were giving, but not with the right motives. And so God's reply to their giving is, do I need you to give to me? Like, do I need these sacrifices because I haven't got enough? I'm the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't actually need you to set aside cattle from your herd in order to give to me to make up my lack. That's not the purpose of why I've asked you to to sacrifice and worship in these ways. The psalm ends with this. The one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly... I will show the salvation of God. So it's not just whether you give or whether you don't give. But what is the motivation of your giving? If it's giving out of duty, God would say, I prefer that you wouldn't. If you give out of thanksgiving, though, now there's a word for you. I was trying to think, what's the difference between thankfulness and thanksgiving? I can give because I'm thankful Thanksgiving is kind of that, I don't know, it says already the motivation, doesn't it? I'm thankful and so I give. And that's what God desires of us. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8 says, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. How's that for a promise? His grace will abound to you so that you will have all sufficiency in all things at all times, abounding in every good work. But what's at the heart of it? It's giving generously, yes. But more importantly, giving cheerfully paul's instructing the church make giving part of your everyday worship every week when you get together set aside something to give so that when i send my servant to you to gather up the uh, the offerings that you have put aside for the work uh, for the the meeting of other people's needs you might be able to give it gratefully cheerfully because i'm not 
then you know arriving and saying hey there's great need over there who can meet it you know pull out your wallets and I was I was going to buy my lunch with this but I'll give it to you no set aside in advance those things that you would want to give then when it comes time for giving you you're just filled with the joy because you've already separated yourself from the gift in a way you've already set it aside and and learnt that you can live without it so when it comes time for giving it's all about the need then isn't it it's at that point that you can go it's my joy to give this because i know where it's going and i know what it's going to accomplish and it's that sort of giving that god loves to reward he will make his grace abound to the cheerful giver so give thankfully thankful that god has already given to you you know we are not just the receivers of god's gifts but the overseers of them what do i mean by that when when we ask god for things he gives us in abundance but he doesn't just give so that we can have our own need met there was something else you said nick yesterday that i wanted to say today i didn't put it in my notes but i did write it down at the time give me a moment if you receive a blessing from the lord you keep and you keep it to your sorry you keep it to yourself at your own peril is that it oswald chambers if you receive a blessing from the lord you keep it to yourself at a your own peril or at the peril of your soul god gives that we might give so thirdly we live and we give and we have motive and our motive is heavenly uh, they say that motive promotes well good outcomes you want to save up a certain amount of money you set yourself a target and it helps you sacrifice uh week by week in order to meet that target if you want to go on a great trip you'll probably study the the travel guides and and know what that location looks like in order to be able to make sacrifices and do that if you're newly married you probably go visit display homes so that you can imagine what my life will look like somewhere down the track our dreams guide our sacrifices and god wants us to dream heavenly dreams david says of those who uh, put together all of their offerings in order that the temple of the lord might be uh, might be built blessed are you o lord the god of our father israel forever and ever yours o lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours yours is the kingdom o lord and you are exalted as head above all both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all in your hand are power and might in your hand it is to make great and give strength and now we thank you our god and praise your glorious name but who am i and what is my people that we should be able to offer thus uh, should be thus able to offer willingly for all things come from you and your own we have given to you all that we're giving 
is what God has already given to us. If you look through 1 Chronicles 29, you, you'd just be amazed at the amount of resources that the people of Israel were able to, to set aside in order to build the temple at that time. But as they prepare, David looks at it all and says, this isn't just glory for us or our giving. This is what God has already given to us. And he's given it to us that we might invest it into what it is that God is providing uh, and hoping to do. In the New Testament, it's said in a, in a similar way. And I, I was thinking through the week, I think a great, great series to preach on would just be parallels of the Old Testament and the New. What are the things that are, are promised in the Old Testament and how are they accomplished in the New? This, I think, is like it. As the Old Testament uh, uh, believers were, were building the, the temple for worship, in the New Testament, Jesus says these things. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, of you O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What is it that God is wanting you to seek after? If he's wanting you to seek after his kingdom and his righteousness, what is it that he is specifically putting on your heart to yearn for? Where are the areas that God wants you to invest in the building of the kingdom? Seek those things. And then the things that, that God is, is giving you in order to resource that, you'll be able to free up. You'll know God's abundant provision for you. You'll know that this has been given for a purpose and he has a purpose for you. So often we come to these things in times of, of need, in, in, uh, seeking God's rest, seeking that, that hope or that reassurance that the troubles that we're facing, God is there for us in. But God wants us to be even more proactive than that, to be those who seek first the kingdom of God. And then all those other things we will find God takes care of for us. For he is the giver of good gifts. He is the one who clothes the grass of the field and he will clothe you. Stewardship, Jesus will talk about in other parables, is not about keeping things the same, but investing things in the future. Maybe God's given you ten talents or five talents or, or two. They were huge amounts of money. That God gave and then, well, that the master gave and then left, leaving up to his stewards to, to work out, well, what will we do with these? 
God has given you abundantly, but not just so that you can sit and, and be well provided for. But in this kingdom that he has called us to, that we would be those who are investing. That our motive is the, the building of the kingdom of God. That we might live with the understanding that God is looking after all of our needs, but we need to be focused on meeting the needs of the kingdom of God. So live simply, give generously, and have heavenly motives. May these words be a comfort and an encouragement to us. They're not from the word of God, but they reflect it. A hymn composed by Annie J. Flint. He giveth more grace as the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labours increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplied peace. When we've exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting, availing. The Father, both thee and thy load, will upbear. His love knows no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known to men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Let's trust in the Lord as we come before him. Father, we pray that you would bring peace to our lives. That we would let go of, of hoarding, of storing, of fearing. Let go in order that we might Live simply, give generously, and hope heavenly. Lord, you know our needs. Some of them we feel are yet unmet. Lord, you also know the needs of those around us. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to what you have given that we might supply. Lord, give us kingdom minds. Give us Christ-like hearts. Allow us to be the servants of the gospel who give everything to follow you and, and turn in reply and say that we are content in all circumstances for God is our strength even in our weakness. Lord, may we be a church that trusts in you. Maybe, may we be a church that is faithful and obedient to your call. May we be encouraging of one another. May we be those who teach those in our community what it means to trust in you and to find that you are faithful. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your comfort. And we thank you for your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.